for those unfamiliar with that blessing, that's, that's the traditional blessing to be said upon reaching something new or something that hasn't happened in a while. It's my mother's favorite bracha. Let's also recite the blessing for studying Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kichan b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, our God, sovereign of time and space, who makes us holy with your commandments and has commanded us to engage in the words of Torah. So I reflected this morning, where do I want to go today with the Torah? And I, we're in the Parsha called Bo, which is the Parsha that covers the last three plagues. And then the, the elaborate description of the preparation for the vigil on the 10th plague on Passover Eve the slaying of the firstborn, and then in a, a detailed description about how you're supposed to mark this occasion in future generations. And Moses tells us not once, but three times in that telling that you're doing it so that your children will ask you what's going on, what's this about? So that is um, the theme that we carry forward to this day in the Passover Seder, setting up, setting up a, uh, um, a situation where the children will be asking us, why are we doing this? And then we tell them. <clears throat> so that's what this portion's about. My, um, excuse me. <clears throat> I turned to a Hasidic teacher to study today. Uh, Menachem Nachem of Chernobyl, uh, known as Me'orei Naim. This is the same Chernobyl that, uh, where the nuclear catastrophe took place. But Menachem Nachem lived in the 18th century. He was one of the original disciples of the Baal Shem Tov and of that circle. His descendants are, uh, are a, um, actually um, uh, illustrious family, the Tversky's. Uh, if you're familiar with that, that name, there are some amazing teachers <clears throat> from the Tversky dynasty who are still with us today. Um, and I have some of their books on my shelf too. Anyway, that's who Menachem Nachem of Chernobyl is. And uh, when we enter the realm of Hasidic interpretation, we enter the realm of a completely symbolic landscape. So, whereas last week, I went into great depth describing the Torah's, um, uh, the, this story's incredible ability to describe the dynamics of oppression and tyranny and resistance. Now here's another level. And this is the level where Mitzrayim is not a physical place nor is the promised land a physical place, but rather they are states of consciousness. And that is what the, uh, the, the, uh, the Menachem Nachem of Chernobyl 
is that's the landscape he's addressing when he addresses the story of our enslavement in Egypt, our liberation, our journey towards, and not just towards, but it's always up to the promised land. It's always a journey down to Egypt and up to the promised land. And on the map, well, that's how we think of it. We go down to Egypt and then up to the promised land. But for the spiritual journey, it's a descent into a, um, a more condensed, difficult place of being and an ascent into a more expansive state of being. So with that in mind, I'll also, as I'm going to, forgive me, um, uh, but I'm gonna make sure everyone can stay on board with this. Um, Mitzrayim, which means as we've talked about the narrows, uh, where because of the, probably because of the Nile Valley being this narrow strip of arable fertile land uh, in, in the midst of the desert, um, becomes in the Jewish spiritual interpretation, Meitzarim, meaning the constricted place, the place of tightness, of narrowness. And uh, Pharaoh rules in that land. Pharaoh rules in the land of constriction. In the mystical view, that constriction is also a place of contraction, which means that it is the place of materiality, of materialism, of a place where we are so focused on the condensed, contracted experience of our world that we lose our connection to the energy, the unseen energy that animates, creates, informs everything, the life that is the life of every, the life force that is the life of everything. So if we find ourselves descended into the land of Mitzrayim, we have found ourselves in a state of consciousness that is crass, that is, well, crass is a value judgment. So I don't, I don't wanna use that word actually. That is um, gross, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just physical, right? It's all we, it's just our physical being. The mode of survival that the slaves are in, the fact that in the course, thank you, that's the word I was looking for, thank you, Paul. Yes, there's nothing refined or subtle about it. Um, and it's the place where power is executed, where the place in terms of consciousness, where we lose track that we're more than eating and pooping machines, right? Um, and um, this is a level of reality that is real, right? It's a level of consciousness that we occupy, but can we, but if we forget who we are beyond our physical beings, we are in Mitzrayim, right? We have fallen into that state of consciousness. It's called Moach Katnut in um, uh, 
uh, Jewish spiritual lingo, which means literally small mind, reduced awareness. Moach Gadlut is expanded awareness in Jewish spiritual language. So if we get stuck in Egypt, we forget who we are. And one of the um, teach, one of the teachings, spirit, Jewish spiritual teaching about our exile in Egypt is that we really found ourselves enslaved, not when Pharaoh made our labors harder, but when we forgot who we were. We didn't even know how to cry out anymore to a higher purpose. We lost our identity um, as children of God. So in the spiritual map, we are continuously ascending and descending on these levels, right? And so one of the questions that Jewish spiritual teachers have always asked, just like everyone else is, why can't we stay in the promised land? Why do we keep falling? And so the, the most um, common answer, uh, frequent answer is it must be necessary. It must be somehow necessary to feel the lack before we can struggle back to the light. It seems to work that way. And so we, so the descent, it says in, again, in Hasidic language is for the necessity for we to ascend. We, that the climbing back out, and I'm, I was thinking about that is, is the, um, is only possible if we have been in the dark. And I was thinking about that in terms of, in the biggest sphere, the, uh, the release and sense of um, um, expansiveness that so many of us experienced yesterday um, as we came out of some, this coarse, contracted, dark place that willy-nilly we'd been sucked into and then experience in our bodies the release from that and the remembrance of possibility, of hope, of exaltation. Picture those poor slaves in Egypt. In a way, we've been hanging out with them, crying out, but without a sense of destination. But the light never dies. It never dies. So I want to look at one of Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl's teachings about this descent and ascent. It's not directly connected to this Torah portion, but it is aligned with, it's a theme he brings up all the time and is aligned with this moment in the Torah portion. Yes, Paul says, no sense of light without a sense of darkness, no yin versus without a yang. The Jewish star with the two inverted triangles that 
intersect with each other as one of the in uh, one of the beautiful uh, interpretations of the six pointed star. Let me share my screen. And now with that introduction, let's take a look at uh, this Hasidic teacher's um, uh, offering. Here, I'll give you the English, not the Hebrew. <laughs> and I'll make it a bit larger and I'm hoping this will help. Uh, just a minute, I need to manipulate things on my little screen here. That didn't work, just a sec. Okay. Um, it, is that visible to everyone? Oh, good, good. So addressing this question of why we continue to find ourselves falling back into the, the constricted place <clears throat> as individuals, Collectively, here is the Maori Naim discussing it. The truth is that human beings cannot remain on a particular rung with constancy since the life force ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. That quote is from Ezekiel's vision of the divine, of the, of the divine chariot that is in the first chapter of his book. It's, if you're not familiar with it, it's really a, it's a incredibly detailed, wild mystical vision of holy chariot with wheels within wheels, with many headed beasts, with a God as it were sitting upon, upon it. And it said, it says in that description, that hachayot ratzovisho, these holy beings were going back and forth, coming and going. But in the spiritual reading, chayot, which means animals, can also be read as chiyut, which means life force. So the life force ebbs and flows, becomes a fundamental Jewish spiritual phrase. The life force ebbs and flows. When you are attached to God, that means when your awareness is large, larger than your own aches and pains, larger even than the current moment of politics, but large enough, as we attempt to do whenever we pray together, to connect to the root of life, the source of all. When we are in that state, you feel the pleasure of that surge of life but then it vanishes and you fall from your rung. So once again, to give you the lingo, they, the, the Jewish spiritual tradition loves the language of a ladder with rungs. That comes from Jacob's ladder, everybody. All of these metaphors are drawn from the Torah and then applied, I might say, only partially in context to become a, a vocabulary for the spiritual path. Um, so when we say rungs in the Jewish spiritual tradition, that's the ladder. What's Jacob's ladder? Well, it's, it's uh, feet are on the ground, but its top reaches up to heaven. And the angels are constantly ascending and descending the ladder. And so 
or descending and ascending, you know, it's like, and, and so we then are compared to angels in our spiritual journey, constantly ascending and descending the ladder, getting to higher and higher rungs where the view is bigger and more, more expansive and more exhilarating and more, uh, in a way, in a way, um, uh, inclusive and uh, true in a, an important way from this perspective, but then finding ourselves slipping down the ladder and what happened? Why are we back down here again? So once again, just like the ascent, the descent to Egypt and the ascent to the promised land, which happens several times in the book of Genesis, right? Abraham goes down. Um, uh, Joseph and his brothers, but they're going down and up, down and up. <sighs> Okay, I wanted to give you that vocabulary. That's what it means by rung. And then he says, there are secrets of Torah in the reason why you have to undergo such a fall. One is that you fall in order to rise up afterward to your yet higher level. Because each thing that comes into being is preceded by a lack. What are we talking about here? The children of Israel in Egypt have forgotten who they are. They, they're in only a state of lack. And out of that lack, they cry out to God, it says in Exodus. And God hears their call. How, how low did they have to go before they would cry out? Apparently that low. And so their redemption could only begin when they became aware of the, 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 the constriction they were experiencing. At which point the wheels begin turning and the process of redemption and release is underway, but only because they felt their lack. Only when we feel our lack do we cry out. Deborah Berger said, so back and forth between earthbound focus and God focus. Yes, yes. Think of it as a narrowing and an expanding constantly, an ascent and a descent. Um, it's, we cycle through it countless times a day. Um, and Roni says, yes, this is the hero's journey. Being able to hold opposites, not balance them not choose between them, for example, duty and fun, for example, but to allow both in your journey. Well said, Roni. And uh, we know, again, that uh, I would say any most spiritual traditions are trying to describe this confounding aspect of our experience. If we can experience exaltation, why don't we experience it all the time? And so the, the ebb and flow as the, is the way our tradition describes it, and that the ebb is necessary for the flow, and that that might even catapult us to a higher level than we'd ever raised ourselves up to before. Um, so when you want to rise to a higher rung, you need a lack beforehand, lest you have to fall from your present rung. Otherwise you can become complacent, self-satisfied. And there is no stasis in life. So if we think we've arrived and we're there, we lose our 
we, we lose our sense of, of, of um, journey that we're on. Uh, there are many uh, uh, spiritual tales also in the Jewish tradition of God being at the center of um, a maze or a castle and the spiritual seekers at each gate of the seven. And I, again, I'm, this is not, this is the, it's described in Jewish sources, but also in other sources at each, at each uh, 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 entryway into the next level, there are all kinds of temptations. Oh, this is pretty good. I'll stay here. And very few go on and keep uh, thinking that, no, there's more that I want. There's more than this. Uh, so thus you have fallen from your present rung. But even when falling from that rung, you need to strengthen yourself and go up towards yod heh vav -Hey from the lower rung where you are now, because you must have faith that the whole earth is filled with God's glory. So even, even at that moment, when we do not experience the earth being filled with God's glory because of, again, we're experiencing it in its coarse materiality, we have to have faith that it is so. Because God is, there is no place devoid of God. This is a, another important phrase that the mystics repeat over and over. There is no place devoid of God. God is present, even at your present rung. There is no place from which God is absent. It is just that God is present in much contracted form. Simtsum, that's the Hebrew word for that. This is the meaning of, now he's going to riff on a line from Psalm. From the rising of the sun unto its setting, the name of yod heh is praised. The righteous one, the tzaddik, is called the sun. Rising means that his mind is bright and clear, attached to God. Unto its setting refers to the time when that brightness vanishes and he falls from his rung. But from the rising of the sun unto its setting, the name of yod heh vav -Heh is praised. That means constantly, even when he struggles to rise up to God on his present rung. So even at night, even when it's dark, even when we can't feel in that, uh, in that uh, pleasure of the surge of life that is described, something that I think is a nice analogy, when the sun comes up and we feel its first rays and we feel the pleasure of the surge of life and we give thanks. But what about when we're not there? We need to keep praising. Even when we're struggling, we need to keep faith that the whole earth is still filled with God's glory on every level. Kimberly says, I appreciate the promise that with each fall you rise higher than before. So further falls will happen, but it's okay because there is always more spiritual growth available. Thank you, Kimberly. I actually think that's true. I mean, I'm sorry we have to crash uh, in order to dismantle whatever we've put together so far because it wasn't sufficient to hold the glory that we 
will ultimately be able to hold in our beings. And the further on we are in life with this faith, the further that the crashes aren't experienced as catastrophic by us because we continue to praise. And so we rebuild ourselves faster. We don't fall in the hole as desperately because we know this is the rhythm and I will figure this out. I will grow into this next part of, and it will be even more expansive than the previous one. Ain od. Ellen Weaver says that means there is nothing but God. It's all God, though sometimes it's in a reduced form, a contracted form that's harder to unpack. Paul said, does it take a less of a lack each time before you rise up? Yeah, I don't know. But I think, again, as I was saying, if we understand our lacks as uh, being part of the journey, we then I think navigate them with more grace. The dark night of the soul, Charlotte says, yes. Yes, the darkness is the dark night of the soul. And Ellen says, Ramda said, when I know who I am, I am God. When I don't know who I am, I serve God. Go Ramdas. Um, so the name of Yudhebhava is praised constantly even when he struggles to rise up to God on his present rung. This is the true practice and conduct of Judaism, the proper way to walk. He's preaching. He's preaching to his uh, community. He's trying to help them see their way. But how does one come to God? when in this fallen state. One's mental powers and awareness have been taken away. So a paradox, like the slaves in Egypt, we've forgotten who we are at that moment. Then you come to know that the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Even those places that are entirely earthy, just coarse matter, they too are filled with God's glory. If you can carry that consciousness even into your darkest moments, that is the key that will allow you to once again ascend out of the land of uh, Mitzrayim. God is called the life of life. All life in the world, all of it, including that of cattle, beasts, birds, and humans, is God's own self, the life of life. And so, and this will be familiar to our community. This is where it comes from. God is the life force within all that lives. When you are in that fallen state and you don't, you say, you're in Egypt, you're the slaves. Think of this. Am I not alive? And who is my life force? Is it not the blessed Holy One? If I understand that even in the most contracted place, God is my life force, then maybe I'm not so bad. And from that, that means God is here too, though in a much contracted way. 
Life ebbs and flows. So it is meant to be. And the wisdom of that awareness will bring us back to God. Boy, that's wisdom. Here's the phrase. Halo chai ani? Umihu echayut sheli. Halo habore yitparach? I am alive. And who is this aliveness I am? Is it not the holy blessed one? We're going to sing that a little later. I just wanted to come off the screen share. Isn't that a beautiful teaching? I want to cite for you a couple of other, like all teachers, each teacher has his or her favorite metaphors and her kind of main themes. Menachem Nachum, Reb Nachum says in his commentary to last week's portion, it was a beautiful phrase here. Oh, I wanted to read you this because of Tubishvat. Okay, let me read what Deborah said first. Bill Staines, who's a wonderful songwriter, wrote, when there's music all around you and you just can't seem to hear, when the answer is right around the bend, but it doesn't seem so clear, when the darkness falls around you, it's hard to know and understand. There's a heart out there that loves you. There's a promise in your hand. Thank you. I didn't know that one. It's called Spirit Song. Spirit Song, right on. I'm going to read it again, okay? Do you know, can you sing the chorus, Deborah? Oh, would you please? It's, it's a verse, not a chorus. I mean the verse. When there's music all around you and you just can't seem to hear when the answer's right around the bend, but it doesn't seem so clear. When the darkness falls around you, it's hard to know and understand. There's a heart out there that loves you. There's a promise in your hand. Oh, yeah, there's a promise in your hand. And the chorus says, oh, people, don't you weep. Oh, people, don't you weep no more. Sun still shines on the golden shore. Oh, people, don't you weep. Thank you. So now there's a festival coming up this coming week called Tubishvat, the New Year for Trees, which is also celebrated as a mystical holiday. And it takes us through what the mystic, Jewish mystical tradition calls the four worlds, from the world of materiality, of physicality, all the way up to the world of infinite expansion. And uh, we celebrate it by eating fruits from the trees, 
that represent each of the worlds. And the fruit that represents the most material, physical world, the place where we can't see past that, um, are fruits that have a, a hard exterior, an inedible exterior that hides the meat or the fruit inside. And this is called the world of Asiya. And we have to crack the shell or peel it off in order to experience the life force that was there all along. So that is compared to being in Mitzrayim, being in that place that is where we forget that the life force is in us, where we feel bereft and lost and hopeless. And so by eating, by cracking that open in the Tubishvat Seder, which we'll do next Wednesday night, and then um, uh, eating it, we remember, we remember, oh, the life of all life is in me, even though I forgot. Am I not part of this life of all life? the Holy Blessed One, and we start to reawaken ourselves so that we can rise up higher on the rungs, climb that tree of life, get the big view again. In that spirit, and with that understanding, oh, the other thing I want to tell you is that in Jewish mystical language, the husk, the shell is called a klipa. That's what it means. It means a husk or a shell. But in Jewish mystical literature, holy sparks are hidden under every husk and in every shell. Anything that looks impenetrable to us in terms of our spiritual journey actually contains, is hiding a divine spark that we need to liberate by remembering that it's in there. If we can make our awareness expand to what seems to be only, what seems to be lacking in God's energy. And remember that God's life is in everything. We then crack that open, liberate the spark. Um, in his commentary, Mu'arinayim, to last week's portion, he says, when Israel was in Egypt, awareness was in exile. Isn't that beautiful? Our awareness was an exile. Um, we, we forgot. We forgot who we were. The shell which preceded the fruit covered it. This is the hard shell of the nut spoken of by scripture in the Song of Songs, I went down to the nut grove. That refers to the exile in Egypt. The nut has a hard outer shell and several finer membranes in it, hiding the meat within. The hard outer shell was broken in Egypt so that we could see what was inside. The thin membranes are still there, right? If you open a walnut, there's still, that, there's still the membranes on top of it. Until our Messiah comes, he says. Until our Messiah comes, 
even to get to the nut meat, we're still gonna have to peel stuff away. But then when the Messiah comes, the inwardness will be revealed completely. That's a beautiful metaphor, just all about a walnut. Um, gosh, I love that. Uh, that phrase, Me'orinayim repeats in several of his teachings. In Egypt, in the place of constriction, awareness, da'at, da'at is consciousness, goes into exile. We forget who we are. We become like just, as I say, eating and pooping machines. We forget. But that, even if we've become this hardened shell, we still have the spark of life in us. And our goal is to crack that nut open. Now that is a um, convulsive event. That's not like a walk in the park sometimes, right? We have to cry out. Ah, that's so beautiful. So I wanna play for you now, something you've probably seen already a couple of times, which is this in this incredible young woman reading her poem at the inauguration yesterday. Because when you listen to her poem in the light of this teaching, in this moment of us crying out and then having it crack open and remembering who we are, you hear the same themes as Bill Staines has in his song. The song is waiting for us, always. And so here's, she's, she's a new messenger. I wanna play it for you and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. I'm gonna share the screen again. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands 
before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it, we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the windswept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it.
Mr. President, Dr. Biden. Sorry. Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, America. I've probably watched that about eight times now. I think it's what inspired me to take our teaching in this direction today also. So let me conclude with uh, singing the song that we've sung so many times that comes from, um, yes, thank you, Deborah. It sounds more, more miraculous after today's lesson because she's speaking the spiritual truths that we all know. Hmm. So let's sing this together. I'm gonna to share the screen one more time. Be the light, courageous enough to see the light, she concludes, only if you have enough the courage to be the light. Yeah, la, 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 la. I am a lie. Yeah, la, 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 la. I am a lie. Yeah, la, 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 la. I am the lie, I am the lie. Yeah, lie, 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 I am the lie. Yeah, lie, 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 is this a lie? This I am. And who is this a lie? This I am. Who is this a lie? This I am. Is it not the Holy Blessed One? So my friends, on every level, whether we are in a personal Mitzrayim and need to remember that the life force is in us, or whether we see our whole society in a Mitzrayim and need to recall that we collectively can both be the light and see the light. That metaphor of our journey stands true. And may this be a time of ascent, of expanded awareness, of seeing God in each other and in everything around us. Because until the Messiah comes, we still got a lot of, a lot of um, exterior to make our way through in order to eat that sweet fruit. 
but at least we got cracked open again, right? Um, Abigail, do you want to show your hat again? Abigail knitted. I'm going to make you spotlight you, Abigail. In response to the storming of the Capitol, Abigail decided to knit a hat of the Capitol dome. Knitting, that's beautiful with the metaphor of knitting it all back together again. So, and she was saying, just like the pussy hats in the Women's March, maybe we can start a trend, Abigail, I hope you do, of people wearing the Capitol dome on their heads. Really, it's magnificent. Thank you. Okay, everyone, we're going to recite a healing prayer, but I'm gonna stop the recording for now and with blessings to all of you. <clears throat> 